running now, huh? Okay, fine. We are now on the air. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Bone Ditch by Ian Bird. My name's Ian Bird and this is Bone Ditch. Yes, I'm still writing this damn book about an apocalyptic witch who tempts the world with catastrophe and mad invention. And every day I get distracted by something similar that's already lurking in the universe. Today it's an old friend from a comic who turns out to be someone of poverty and insanity from at least the 1600s. So from Richard Dad and W.B. Yeats to Skip James and Miri Baraka and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but strong imagination painted all the woes of Crazy Jane. Not everyone is born. Some people seep into existence, gradually coalescing. You turn around and suddenly that figure has always been there. One of those small cameos for me is Crazy Jane. I first encountered her back in the 1990s in Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol comic. She was a sort of superhero suffering from multiple personality disorder. And in true comic book fashion, each of her personalities had his or her own superpower. Patterned after When Rabbit Howls by the Troops for Trudy Chase, which is a devastating autobiography if ever there was one, each personality has his or her own distinct psychology and function, a tragic but inspiringly inventive mosaic carapace that attempts to protect the original personality, a horribly injured and betrayed little girl unable to move beyond the moment before her first abuse. But in the best comic book tradition, the grandiose narratives and surreal flights of fantasy are there just as a memorable and symbolic framing of Jane's slow recovery, not back into the real world, but into a place where she can understand and accept and make the most of herself on her own terms. Morrison and his partner artists, Richard K. Stan Wock and many others, created a beautiful, challenging character with truth at her many hearts on a journey that felt as real as it was fantastical. Doom Patrol was an amazing comic and you should check it out. Morrison was just one of the latest artists to co-opt Crazy Jane. Yeats wrote a number of poems about her in the late 20s and early 30s. She was his tatterdemalion philosopher and she appeared in the anthology Music for Words, perhaps. Sometimes she's betrayed by religion at odds with the universe. Sometimes she's raging from a mountaintop at the war between the physical and the spiritual. Sometimes she's simply missing her lover. This is Crazy Jane on a mountain. I am tired of cursing the bishop, said Crazy Jane. Nine books or nine hats would not make him a man. I have found something worse to meditate on. A king had some beautiful cousins, but where are they gone? Battered to death in a cellar, and he stuck to his throne. Last night I lay on the mountain, said Crazy Jane. There in a two-horsed carriage that on two wheels ran, great bladded Emma set. Her violent man, Cuculain, sat at her side. Thereupon, propped upon my two knees, I kissed a stone. I lay stretched out in the dirt, and I cried tears down. I also love Crazy Jane on God, not least because another Mr Morrison took Yeats at his challenge and set it to carousing choral music. You can find it on Van Morrison's album, The Philosopher's Stone. But Yeats wasn't the first poet to find Jane. William Nicholson wrote The Ghost of Crazy Jane in 1814. Dark and dismal was the evening, hoarse the raven croaked afar. Drowsy bats flew round in clusters, faintly beamed the evening star. 
Round yon mouldering tower the ivy closely clasped, though faintly seen, highly perched the night owl screeching, sung the dirge of crazy Jane. It's a little Edgar Allan Poe-faced, which is unfair because the raven came out 30 years later, but it's lovely. Incidentally, did you know that Emily Bronte started writing Wuthering Heights the very year Poe's soul from out that shadow was lifted nevermore? It isn't hard to imagine this crazy Jane hanging out with her soul sisters Lenore and Catherine, though you might not want to stay too late to their parties. Somewhere in the middle in 1855 was the painting Crazy Jane by Richard Dadd. A tattered woman, pale, hanging from stripped bare branches, staring out at you accusingly from her pauper's crucifixion. Her face is bisected by lank hair, an unlucky peacock feather threaded through her headdress like a fish skeleton, and a slightly bucolic but slightly ruined country scene behind her. She bleeds into that washed-out landscape. A strip of fabric at the bottom of her skirt matches exactly the horizon. The bandages up her arms are of the same rough colour and shape as the birds of Illomen that hang around her. The crown of thorns on her head has snaked into her hair from the branches she is clutching. Her slip is the same form as the jaundiced clouds that stain the sky. Crazy Jane is the spirit of this unlucky and insane land, dwarfing the pitiful authority of the church and state in the background. A very personal condemnation of, well, what? A wronged woman driven mad by the lover who has deserted her, maybe? Powerless, certainly, but her pain and madness written into the sickly and empty world she dominates, even as it victimises her. I see her as the flip side to the passionate and madcap Jack in the Green, another pagan spirit creeping out of the old rural country into plain sight, but ruined and mad instead of lusty and manic. Crazy Jane is beautiful, powerful and dominating, but also poisonous, overwhelming and crazy. Jane's face isn't carved into churches like Jack's is, instead it hangs in the sky above them like a tearful cloud, a gallows rather than a maypole. Richard Dad painted her in the grounds of Bethlehem Hospital, where he'd been an inmate for over ten years following the murder of his father. He was transferred to Broadmoor in 1864, where he remained until he died in 1886. He spent most of his life, in fact, in one asylum or another, and in all that time he never stopped painting. He had been an up-and-coming young artist, talented and romantic, proposed to devote himself purely to works of imagination, remarked a friend. Intricate fairies and goblins frolic around midnight mushrooms in his work. Valpurgisnacht is celebrated, robbing Goodfellow and Ariel for grin and flit. Angela Carter described his work as the quaint pornography of Never Never Land. Titania sleeps in the nude. Giant bats frame the heavens. Screams are fleshy and throats are deep. In the early 1840s, Dad joined the esoteric caravan heading east, touring Italy, Greece and into the Ottoman Empire to Beirut, Damascus, Jerusalem, Cairo and Karnak. It was a fashionable thing for artists to do. They could experience a new world far more ancient than their own. A fairyland where the goblins and sprites were actually human, old, erotic, unknowable but close enough to touch. Impossibly naive to us today, but in those Byronic days of romance and war, it was felt that a young man could explore strange old worlds without tipping into the queasy tourism that we recognise. Dad writes about the villainous creatures he watched swarming in exotic markets, grinning and inscrutable, and it's horribly reminiscent of tales of the freak show visits by stately Victorians to the madhouse. Apparently it was in Egypt that he suffered heat stroke, which seemed to give way to a psychotic break. He entertained fantasies that he was some kind of godlike avatar inspired by the Egyptian pantheon, and he became changed. This brilliant man who could draft and create dreamlike but manic landscapes where dozens of capering fairies celebrated something essential but forgotten suddenly became ruined, 
suddenly fell and couldn't get up again, changed himself for the rest of his life. He butchered his own father. Was that madness always there in his art, finally overflowing into the real world? Did he suffer an illness that couldn't be cured, that devastated him and his family in the most hideous way? Do we cherish him now as a sordid and exotic artefact, the madman whose illness is actually fetishized, overlooking the monstrousness of his crime because his work is so sexually esoteric? Horrible questions. The same year he created Crazy Jane, he began The Fairy Fellow's Masterstroke. It's gorgeous, a massive, tangled, intricate bramble bush of gorse, midnights and goblins. It's endlessly complicated and involving. There's design in the complication, though. It's not chaos, it's crazy. Jane was probably actually a man. Dad is thought to have used male models, fellow inmates, in his portraits. He did something similar in a gorgeous painting of Ophelia, another victim of insanity. I like that Jane's madness has seeped out of that single woman into the model and into the artist, just as she stains the landscape in the portrait. There's no division in the craziness, perhaps it suggests. We are touched together. We don't come to stare at the lunatics, we come to recognise them. I have an incorrect memory of meeting Crazy Jane in the Crow poems by Ted Hughes. I was sure she was there, but looking again I can't find her. The berserk philosophical maniac of Hughes' poem shares the same blood with our heroine, though, and it isn't hard to imagine Sylvia Plath finding some power in the image of the victim who's also a goddess. But while I was searching, I did find Crow Jane, an old blues song dating from the 20s, maybe earlier. Skip James performed a famous version, and Nick Cave followed along more than 20 years later with his murder ballads. It's the story of a proud woman who is murdered by her lover, then sunk into a grave dug with a silver shovel and tied down with a golden chain. Crow Jane may be an old name for a prostitute, Jane Shaw Whore, tying to an even older term, Jade, for prostitute. Amiri Baraka, the American poet, presented Crow Jane as a strange temptress in a series of poems that connect Yeats's mad victim with Jim Crow in modern America. Now we meet Crazy Jane in high society. The crow is often the maligned creature, savage and low. She's met on battlefields, of course, eating the fallen and despised for it. But the crow is also often a powerful trickster. They're not interchangeable, of course, but since we've already name-checked Poe's Corvid of choice, it's good to remember that the Hyder people of Canada built a whole mythology on their raven god, a trickster manipulator in the key of Loki and Satan. Cloud Levi Strauss wrote of this odd bird that the fact that the Amerindians placed a deceitful, insolent, libidinous and often grotesque character with a penchant for scatology in the forefront of their pantheon surprises some people. In this world of Donald Trump, I'm not so surprised, and I like the idea that Crazy Jane flits from focus to obscurity, from woman to crow, to victim to goddess, to lunatic to confidence trickster, tempting and stealing and being locked away and dying, but not being forgotten, ever, entirely. She's a totem for the victim, who is also always somehow potent and compelling, looming over the horizon. Two current American TV series that take very original and very different looks at women and how they are framed by society are Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin. I like the idea that this ancient old folk witch is still out there somewhere. Swift she fled on wings of morning, gliding o'er the dewy scene, but strong imagination painted all the woes of Crazy Jane. I was in a bookshop a little while back and spotted Nicholas Troman's brilliant book Richard Dad, The Artist and the Asylum. And it reminded me of Jane, who I've known for most of my life. Get well soon, all of us.